Welcome to Maximal Being, a podcast devoted to ditching fad diets and using real science to get you healthy and feeling great. I'm Doc Mock, a GI and functional medicine doctor who harnesses the power of gut health to get you achieving your goals. And I'm Jackie P, a well-informed layman who challenges the experts and asks the questions that you want. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button or leave a comment. And now, on to the show. Hello, 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 Maximal Beans. It is I, your favorite layman, Jackie P, with my co-hostess with the mostess, Doc Mock. And today we have a very, very interesting guest, Dr. Shirazi. Um, I am Jackie P, your favorite layman. I'm here just to make sure that these experts stay on a non-expert level. And we have Doc Mock. What's going on, Maximal Being? Doc Mock here with Maximal Being Fitness, Nutrition, and Gut Health. I'm wearing my blue blockers, so uh, very appropriately for our special guest today, Dr. Dave Shirazi. Uh, for, for all of you out there that don't know me, I'm Dr. Mock. I'm a therapeutic endoscopist that's a fancy GI doctor that deals mostly with cancer, but I also have a functional medicine background, and so we're here to exercise our Western as well as our more holistic sides to deal with a very common problem here in America, and that is pain. Um, so I am very excited to introduce to all of you, Dr. Dave Shirazi. His story is just fascinating, and I can't wait to learn so much from him today, Dr. Shirazi. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for uh, working late tonight <laughs> to have me on. Our pleasure. Yeah. What would you like to know first? So I, I want to hear, you know, where you from and, and about your training and how you arrived at being an expert in sleep and TMJ and, and pain. So, so tell us more. Wow. Well, this specialty, I can honestly say it chose me. That's This is definitely one of those stories. Um, so, you know, I come from a family of doctors, like almost everyone in my family is a doctor or a dentist. Uh, my father was a pharmacist. Um and when I was 14, I was watching my mom do a root canal and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I love working with my hands. I love talking to people, connecting. And, um, you know, the great thing about dentistry is almost all of dentistry is functional medicine, right? You have a toothache. Let's go and find out why you have it and let's fix the exact cause, you know, and then hopefully give you instructions on changing your diet and brushing and eating habits to prevent it from happening again. So that's one of the reasons I always loved dentistry. It was always very functional because um, I had my own run in when I, when I was 18. Um, I had a cold. And, you know, I have a neurotic Jewish mother who was like, go to the doctor. So I go to Kaiser and it's like a waiting room full of people hacking and coughing. So I leave and I come back an hour later, they take me in and they give me antibiotics. And I was like, you know, I was 18. I also, I didn't have any training, but I knew enough to know that it's not appropriate to give antibiotics for a virus. So I asked them about that. And he said, well, the antibiotics will focus on the bacteria so that your immune system can focus on the virus. I said, okay. Told my mom. My mom's like, well, if the doctor told you to take it, you got to take it. She's in that genre where you just do whatever the doctor tells you to do. So I took it. I got better. And I, as you can guess, I'm a bit of a nerd. So I went into the library. This is pre-internet. <laughs> went to the library. Looked it up. And even in 1990, 1991, we knew that you don't do that. <laughs> you you wait until um, you, you 
you either treat symptomatically or you do things that are more fo focused on the virus, right? And you can end up with um, an aversion or a sensitivity to that uh, antibiotic and it may not work later on when you actually need it. So I just remember thinking, these people don't know what the hell they're doing. It was like, it was like a distinct thought I had about doctors in general. And plus, I mean, you know, because of my whole family were doctors, I didn't put them on a pedestal, right? So th they would talk about interesting cases and I would get excited when they would talk about how they would have to research into the backstory of how this person, I remember my uncle was telling the story when I was a little kid about how someone had horrible acid reflux and they couldn't find out why. So he asked the guy like, okay, give me like your daily routine. And he goes, well, I buy a, I, you know, I drink orange juice. I have a glass of orange juice every day. He goes, okay, just one glass. He goes, yep, that's it. He goes, how do you drink it? He goes, well, I buy a tub and I put it in this clay pot and I, you know, I take a cup from it every morning. So he comes to find out that the clay, the acid was leaching and he was getting the clay pot oh. remnants and that was causing the acid reflux. And the story. I love stuff like that. I thought that was the coolest thing. Cool. So, um, so I went into dental school and with the idea of studying something holistic so that when I have a family, I can treat them more holistically. I didn't have an intention of actually practicing Chinese medicine. I just wanted to learn it. So, um, so I did after dental school, I went to Howard, Washington, DC, graduated 2000, and then um, immediately enrolled in um, the oldest uh, Chinese medical school in the country that's accredited <laughs> and um, loved it. It was great. Very different, very different from, you know, dental school, which is a lot like, you know, I I'm sure your medical school was like that. We shared a lot of like pathology classes with Absolutely. the med students. So this was quite, quite different. Actually, what was most salient um, now that I'm like, you know, looking back on my education and my career, um, the ancient texts in Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, they would say, okay, patient presents like this. Because obviously they didn't have blood work or <laughs> x-rays back then, right? So they would say, patient presents with these symptoms. It, it's probably this, okay? This is the formula you give them, okay? And, and that's it. But if they get worse with new symptoms like this, that means you were wrong in the original diagnosis. It was really this. <laughs> and then this is the formula for that. And that's what will fix the patient. So- you know, as we all know, we learn more from our failures as we do our successes, way more, can't even compare. Um, and the educational texts were entirely like that. They're like, this is how you treat it. But if you fail, this is probably why you failed, right? And, you know, Western medicine wasn't really like that. It's like, okay, you try that, or I don't know. You know, <laughs> it was very much like that. Um, and then uh, acupuncture school, I got a master's in psychology, which I loved. And um, and I got into the, to the world. So when I came out of dental school, I was doing a lot of functional orthodontics. And we didn't, we didn't know sleep apnea that well. I mean, sleep apnea is only a 40-year-old profession or specialty, I should say. So, and, and now we know solidly that in a growing child, an adolescent, you can actually cure sleep apnea with functional orthodontics. You can't say that about anything. You can't say that about surgery. You can't say that about CPAP. You can actually cure it. And it even works if they're obese and it even works if they have enlarged tonsils and adenoids. Wow. So 
So I was just doing this without, because this research wasn't published yet. And I was doing this and I was like, okay, because I was that kid. I was the kid that had ADD and bedwetting. And, you know, like I said, my whole family is doctors, but nobody knew back then that that's what causes it. And now there's so much literature showing that ADD is caused and ADHD is caused by sleep apnea in children. It's, it's overwhelming. There's thousands of studies at this point. And the reason we use the word cause, because, you know, we use that word very cautiously in medicine, um, is it resolves so powerfully when you resolve the apnea that we can, we can say that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So I was doing that and the adults were like, Hey, can you treat me too? (laughs) I was like, okay, I'm going to have to learn. And, uh, and then at the same time I was getting into the clinic in acupuncture school and which was very interesting because they were telling us you can cure this and you can cure that. I'm like, all right, guys, come on, just, you know, slow your roll. You know, let's just, you know, keep it honest. And, uh, and then we see it in the, in the clinic, you know, we'd have these, the biggest skeptics you can think of. We had like these Vietnam vets with a 40 year shoulder injury who are like, yeah, you know, I'm only here because my daughter forced me to come and, you know, she found a coupon, you know, and et cetera. That's why I'm here. It's like, okay. And I really want to help the guy, but I really want to get it right the first time because you know this is it. Like if you don't, if you don't make it happen, <laughs> they're done with you. So I would call my instructors over and they would do the acupuncture. And you know, these huge skeptics would be like, you know, it's not a hundred percent better, but it's almost a hundred percent better. <laughs> this, I can't believe it. I've had physical therapy, I've had steroid shots, you know, all the stuff. I was like, okay. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I can combine the two together, you know these appliances, what I call orthotics to hold the jaw in the right place and to control parafunction and to open up airway with lasers and with um, the acupuncture and herbs, that this could be a real powerful combination. And it surely was. That's amazing. What, yeah. what an amazing story. How inspiring is that, Jackie P? I mean, it's just, I mean, you said so many things that are just like, right on the money i mean you know there's i was a skeptic once upon a time of acupuncture i think i've might have shared a story already but you know my wife had all types of gi issues i've had issues as well mm-hmm. um and you know i'm i'm a believer like and you know so i i i'm just very happy that you know you were able to make sure that you know these folks who had all these different types of treatments and you know and therapies were and, and, you know, change their view, change their outlook and see, hey, you know mm-hmm. what, Western medicine isn't the only medicine. Paleo, keto, vegan, and carnivore. Maybe you've tried them all, but did you have success? Are you still doing that diet? Turns out there's not just one diet right for one particular person. By understanding how your body works and the relationship behind your body's workings, and these diets, you can then approach the perfect plan for you. In the Perfect Human Diet course, we talk to you about your body's inner workings and the pros and cons of each plan. We discuss how our ancestors ate and have eaten and lay a framework to tailoring a plan that is perfect for you. To learn more about the Perfect Human Diet course, head to MaximalBeam.com courses to find out more. And as always, I'm Doc Mock, and I'm here to maximize your health.
You cannot supplement your way to health, but there are things that we need to add to our lives that can maximize our pathway to wellness. The American diet is virtually devoid of omega-3 fatty acids, which play a major role in cardiovascular disease, gut permeability, and mental health. Personally, I take omega-3s every night and iHerb is the best place for clean, natural sources of supplements. I love the ZenWise Omega-3 Fatty Acid Supplement, which is free of fish burps and good for the environment. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com slash iHerb, that's I-H-E-R-B, and enter the code B as in boy, D as in dog, B as in boy, 5528, and receive 10% off your orders for all supplements. Maximize your supplements with iHerb. But yeah. something that really, uh, really clued me was how you said sleep apnea, and there was a connection with ADD and ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that might not be what we were meant to talk about, but I, f- I feel like there might be. It, it peaked my brain, and it, you know, so I, I was curious if there's, if you can maybe go into that just a little bit more. Okay, so first of all. I cannot think of a disease that's non-genetic, of course, that sleep apnea can directly cause or be indirectly associated with. That's how powerful it is. We get almost 100% of our growth hormone from one stage of sleep. And in REM sleep is where we do our mental, emotional processing and consolidation, right? We also clean out the beta amyloid plaques during REM sleep too, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. Anyway, um, it's the we believe it's the inflammation, right? Which then will, because children's blood-brain barriers are a bit thinner. So uh, Dr. David Gozal, who is both a pediatrician and a sleep specialist, uh, he's got a couple thousand published studies on uh, pediatric OSA. And when he did the blood work on children with sleep apnea, he found that TNF-alpha, which is a marker for for inflammation, especially in children, he found that TNF-alpha, if it was above 2,000, which, pardon my French, is a batshit crazy high number. (laughs) If it was 2,000 or more, he said it was guaranteed to be sleep apnea. He goes, you don't even need a sleep study. He goes, you know. I mean, assuming the kid doesn't have cancer or bone fracture Mm -hmm. or something like that, it's it's sleep apnea, right? So... um, we believe, I mean, the, not all of these mechanisms are understood, right? But inflammation is at the center of everything, yeah? So, you know, children's blood-brain barriers are more permeable. So if you have a systemic inflammation, it can go into your brain. And, you know, defiant syndromes, um, uh, behavioral issues. And we now know for sure uh, people with depression and anxiety, adults now, uh, adults with depression and anxiety who also have sleep apnea, when they get their sleep apnea resolved, either their depression and anxiety goes away or it just drops on the Zung's depression scale. It's just really greatly improved. Right. So by you know, so like for example, I know, I know that um it's called neurofeedback works very well with kids with uh, ADD, and um, but it's temporary. They have to keep doing it, right? But if you just focus on the sleep apnea, uh, at least initially, and then see if you need neurofeedback, you'll be in a far better place. 
Yeah, there's so many modalities out there to to treat sleep apnea. I think one of the um, most important ones would be, you know, like taping your mouth shut while you sleep, which sounds kind of barbaric, I think, to probably a lot of the lay people out there. But, you know, it certainly is a well-studied and well, you know, evidence-based practice that can resolve some degree of sleep apnea. Do you agree, Dr. Shirazi? Yeah, I don't know if it's well-studied. I, I know that there's some, you know, anecdotal stuff. I mean, I recommend it. Um, <laughs> but, the, but the reason I, we believe it works is because we're changing the child's end tidal CO2 by doing that. We have a narrow window of what's normal for CO2 levels in our body. And we have a huge magnitude more order of CO2 receptors in our body than we do oxygen. I think we've got one or two oxygen receptors and we've got hundreds of CO2 receptors. That means it's pretty important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, when you mouth breathe, if your nose is stuffed up and you mouth breathe, you just get rid of, you outgas too much carbon dioxide. And if you don't have enough carbon dioxide, the oxygen does not liberate from your hemoglobin. So you can have, you know, 100% saturation of oxygen in your blood, but it's not coming out. It's not getting into your organs. Yeah. So when you tape, you allow the natural slow intake and exhalation of air, which then maintains your normal level of CO2, right? So the purpose of taping is to really uh, encourage and enforce even nasal breathing. And that nasal breathing also helps to keep the air at a different temperature than you would ambient air, which is vital for oxygen exchange as well, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Another thing you touched on, which I thought was interesting to just kind of outlay, because we have discussed, you know, leaky gut to the listeners, obviously being a GI doctor, I see it all the time, but you mentioned a little bit about what sounds like leaky brain or kind of a leak in the blood brain barrier. Mm -hmm. Can you just back up and go through, you know, that blood brain barrier and, you know, the impact that, that these conditions have on that blood brain barrier. So what we know uh, about the early permeability and as it starts to solidify, you know, in children, adolescent, and then adult. And if we've got, like, for example, we know obesity is, is what above 30% now in children. And it's not just an issue of too many carbs the quality of food that we're getting is very, very poor. We have, I mean, I, I, I shudder to think of a first world nation that has as low a standards of food quality as we do in America. Um, I mean, the food dyes, the genetic modifications, which we still don't know hardly anything about, um, are, are really, it's a disgrace. And so the leaky gut itself, that in itself will cause leaky brain, right? The gut inflammation and all these chemicals coming out of our GI tract that are not meant to come out of our GI tract um, are poor uh, gut flora because the food is so saturated with glyphosate and Roundup that it, that ends up killing off all this healthy beneficial bacteria in our gut. Um, that causes a stress state. And then you compound it by having a state where uh, the person is not getting growth hormone, which is where we grow and repair. 
And after we're done growing, it's the only way we get physical repair, right? And um, after that, um, we have, like I said, the lack of REM, which we need, you know, mental, emotional processing. So every time you choke in your sleep or snore or, you know, do one of those snorts, you're kicking yourself out of a stage of sleep from a deeper stage to a lighter stage. And therefore, you're not giving yourself your growth hormone and your REM processing of your brain, right? And then that creates inflammation, right? Because really the purpose of inflammation is to grow and repair. That's the purpose of inflammation, right? Um, and so, you're, you know, the body is just trying to repair and grow what's going on, but it can't because it doesn't have the growth hormone to back it up in, in the proper quantities that it needs. And then so these inflammatory markers, uh, interleukins and TNF-alphas end up permeating through this inflamed blood-brain barrier and gets into the brain. And now you got an inflamed brain, right? And I'm not even leaving, you know, I'm not even including in childhood traumas, um, you know, surgeries, other things that caused uh, a challenge to the body that it needs to recover from. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, maybe transitioning a little bit onto what we're, you know, intending to talk about today would be chronic pain issues, which is mm. absolutely related to, to leaky absolutely. brain. Absolutely. Um, childhood traumas also play a huge role in chronic pain conditions. I'm, I'm certain that you've seen that in your practice, right? Dr. For, certain. Yeah. For certain, without question. How do you, you know, it, it's always a difficult thing to approach in patients, especially when you're just starting to, you know, form that therapeutic relationship with them. So, so what are some, some things or techniques that you use to kind of broach those delicate subjects? So, I mean, I really just kind of like let the patient bring it forward. I don't, I don't go out digging in for it. If they're ready to talk about it, we'll talk about it. Right. And I'm not a therapist. I'm not a licensed therapist. Um, the acupuncture training allows me to treat acupuncture and depression and I have a background, I'm a master's in psychology, so I can say a few things to patients. So um, some of the things I point out to patients and I say, you know, I really wish therapists would say this on the first day, right? And, and I said, I've never had anyone get offended by it, but I hope you don't get offended. I'm just going to tell you it's factual. They'll say, okay, okay, go ahead. I'll say nothing has any meaning whatsoever until you give it one. And they say, okay, I go, I go, you know, in uh, China, in Hong Kong, I should say, it's considered polite to burp at the dinner table, right? It means the food was so yummy. You had to eat it fast. You got air in your stomach and you burp. And it's so ubiquitous that people will fake burp to let, it's usually the kids will fake burp to let the mom know that the food was so delicious, right? <laughs> so in the Western world, we, we consider burping at the dinner table rude and disgusting. Right. So if we take the meta position, we can conclude that burping at the dinner table doesn't have a built in meaning. It's neutral. And based on your cultural upbringing or your choice, it means either a positive or a negative thing. Right. And they'll say, okay. And I go, now let's extrapolate this now to everybody on the planet. Right. So it's okay. I said, there's 2 billion people on this planet, 2 billion that believe that eating pork and shrimp is dirty and sinful, right? Okay. I go right next to those 2 billion, there's over a billion people that say, well, pork and shrimp is fine. You just can't eat cows, right? You know, could have been your mom in your past life. You don't know, 
right? Okay. Um, there's three and a half billion people that say that, well, you can, you know, you can eat any animal you want, just not on certain days of the year, right? And then there's between a half and one billion people that say, well, you shouldn't eat any animal, right? So again, if we take the meta position, we can conclude that eating or not eating any animal any day of the year doesn't have a built-in meaning or judgment, right? Other than the fact that most of the time you're killing it <laughs> for its meat, right? Um, that is factual, right? So, you know, I invite them to say, okay, well, this is, you know, you have the opportunity to look at the situation and be more neutral with it, right? Um, one of the things I've done with some uh, family is I'll tell them that story as well. And I'll say, and they'll say, okay, well, I've really identified what happened to me. And I really think it was horrible. And I'm sad thinking about it, you know, but I want another way of thinking about it. Right. So again, this is with my like close friends and family. I'll, I'll make up a story. And I'll tell them about someone I knew that had a situation very similar to theirs, but a little bit worse, right? And then I'll say, you know, he or she then decided that, you know what? They did not want this to bury them their whole life. They didn't want to carry this experience with them for the next 50 years plus. And they decided to now think of it as, a growing experience, a learning experience, something that made them tougher as an individual, something that made them closer to God, whatever, you know, I think is relevant to the person I'm speaking with. And I just kind of leave it for them and go, that's what happened to somebody. You know, that doesn't mean you can't do it. That doesn't mean you can't do it better. Right. But that's, you know, it, everything is neutral. So you can, you can do anything you want. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, that offers a lot of wisdom to, to patients to be able to frame things in their own personal journey. Yeah. Um, now, getting back to the, the subject of pain, you know, we talked, you were mentioning aerophasia, which is something that I encounter a lot in my patient population with bloating and abdominal discomfort. And I actually, you know, will often discourage them from eating too fast because that's, you know, leads to a lot of gut distress. It does. <laughs> and there absolutely is a link between, you know, your gut and pain, believe it or not, through that blood brain barrier leak that we discussed with, you know, disease associated molecular products and, and feel free to throw your, you know, layman card. I was, I was going to say we're, we're teetering here. Like yeah. you're, you're backing into it, but we're yeah. teetering. You're teetering. Yeah. We're teetering. Yeah. Boop, boop. But, um, <laughs> but these are products that are made by bacteria like short chain fatty acids that are supposed to be good for us. But when you put those things in your circulation, they are not good for you and your immune system reacts to such things. Um, and, and so that is a cause of inflammation and at the core of, I think a lot of pain syndromes and stop me, Dr. Shirazi, if you disagree is mitochondrial health. Well, okay. I mean, at the core of it, I don't know if I would say that's the core of it. So, okay. So we'll talk about mitochondria and I'll talk about what I think is more at the core. So mitochondria produce ATP, 
okay? And ATP is the energy source of the cell. It's the currency, right? It's the thing that like, if you see a crumbling bridge and we're like, you know, our infrastructure in this state is bad. We need to fix that bridge, right? And you throw a bunch of money, you know, <laughs> to some contractors and engineers to fix the bridge, right? So ATP is that money <laughs> that the body uses um, to fix itself, right? So um, it's responsible for reactive oxygen species uh, generation, mm-hmm. um, apoptotic, uh, apoptotic, apoptotic pathways, meaning uh, it it promotes cell death when when the cells need to die. Apoptosis means self self death, like kind of almost like self uh, cell suicide, right? But some cells sometimes need to die, right? And um, calcium uh, mobilization, right? So the mitochondria help with that as well. Right. But, and, and like I said, we need that to get it done. And the lasers that I use in my office use a frequency of 808 nanometers, which are tuned to the mitochondria to get them to make more ATP. Right. But even then, I wouldn't go as far as to say that's like the bottom line, because the biggest problem with chronic pain is knowing where it comes from. Okay, so there, have you talked on your show before about the phenomenon called central sensitization? No, we have not. Okay, so don't worry, Mr. Layman, I'll, I'll do my best. I was, was going to say. Yeah, so we've only it was published <laughs> in the journal Nature in 89. And what it is, is so peripheral nerves, right, are nerves that like are not in the brain. Okay, they like go down your arm, fingers, teeth, you know, jaws, face, skin. And we found out that what central sensitization is, is when we have a chronic injury that just keeps hurting, that just keeps hurting, right? Even if you don't focus on it, it just keeps hurting. Your brain will actually go through physical changes, plastic changes, and now will make other parts of your body hurt that have nothing wrong with them. Right. So migraines are centrally sensitized trigeminal disorders. Yeah. Uh, trigeminal neuralgia, burning mouth syndrome. These are all centrally, and that's not, they're not the only ones. They're centrally sensitized disorders. Fibromyalgia is a centrally sensitized disorder. So the problem is in those patients, whatever they say is hurting is almost never the cause of their pain. That's the big problem. Right. And then, of course, doctors don't know either. So then they just try to like numb their pain with opioids or, you know, membrane stabilizers or something like that. Um, And I know they're just trying to do as much as they're trying to do, but there really should be more effort made into trying to fix the problem. So um, my mentor's mentor was Dr. John Beck, who was an orthopedic surgeon. And he came up with a neurological exam. He called the motor reflex test. It, it kind of looks like a muscle test, but it's like it's like a patellar tendon test. It's a reflex test. So with that test, he was able, it's like when the concept of central sensitization came out in 89, very few people understood it, right? But he was like legit a genius, like no exaggeration. And he had a background in zoological and neonatal neurology. So he was just like, oh, that makes sense. Let's come up with a test. So, so him and his partner came up with this test. And now they were able to find out the hierarchy. Ah, we need to fix this first, and then this second, then third, and et cetera. And being a workman's comp um, 
orthopod in Anaheim, he was so busy with patients and, and they would come in with like a video of the accident, usually an industrial accident. And he would do the physical therapy. He found something was wrong. He would do the surgery. And he only had like a 50% success rate. So then uh, he did the motor reflex test. And then he would tell the patient, okay, you need to fix this first, then this. Or you know what? That's not really the problem. That's not really, there's nothing wrong with your left median nerve. It's coming from your right median nerve, right? And, and of course, his success rate went into the 90s, which is, which is what we all want. You know, and, and, and one of his expression was 95% of successful outcome comes from having the right diagnosis, knowing what you're treating, right? So in a time when, um, you know, people are still running around, rubbing two sticks together to try to make a campfire, he's got like a blowtorch. And he's just like, and diesel, and he's just lighting the flames up. So that to me is the biggest thing is finding the cause, right? So um, I, I know you know this, Dr. Mock, but Mr. Lehman, um, I don't know if you know this, but lower back surgery has a two-thirds failure rate, right? It's not because they're not good doctors, and it's not because they don't know what they're doing, but one-third get better, one-third get worse, and one-third stay the same, yeah? Now, having a one-third success rate and a two-thirds failure rate, like if that was my profession, boy, would we feel shame. Boy, would we go back and say, we need to look at that. What are we missing here? You know, what's going on, right? We got to figure this out. But it, it you know, they, this statistic has been fact for decades. Like this is not news to any, and, and, and orthopods will, will say this to you We'll just say, just matter factually. Yeah, that's what it is. It's like, yeah, you're proud of yourself. You know, <laughs> after you failed, you got to tell the patient acupuncture and Advil for the rest of your life. I mean, yeah, what and if this I, was your mom. Yeah. And I think for the healthcare providers out there, I mean, how many of your chronic back pain patients have you seen have successful results from X, Y, and Z injection therapy and surgery? I think we talked about that a lot when we had Dr. Robert Traeger on to talk about chiropractic medicine for sure. <clears throat> I guess, you know, just in terms of, so obviously there is the root cause analysis aspect, but on the cellular level, I think, you know, the mitochondria in generating their reactive oxygen species and calcium signaling and Jackie P, these are things on a cellular level with the powerhouse. <laughs> you have a sick powerhouse, right? The if powerhouse you, of the cell. Exactly. The I'm with you. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, pain, it, you have different types of pain, right, Dr. Shirazi? And so some of these involve nerve signaling, or pretty much all of them do, which is your electrical system, right? So you have impulse or stimulus in, goes up to your brain, sends a signal to your brain that something is going on. And the mitochondria are largely involved in powering those signals. Um, but if you could just break down the different types of pain that exist for the audience. Yeah. So we have, you know, acute and chronic pain, right? As, as you know, acute being newly that happened, chronic being over six months, typically, sometimes we'll say uh, over three months. And those are the ones, the chronic ones are the ones that will become essentially sensitized pain disorders. But we, we have different nerves in our bodies that handle pain differently. So we have uh, you know, C fibers, which are more for like acute pain. And then we've got these long uh, fibers that are myelinated. Uh, so 
I mean, with all the different pains, usually acute pain is not something, you know, anyone really like you and I deal with because patients are usually looking at an over-the-counter product to just take care of it until it goes away. And it usually does. So it's really the chronic pain that they're coming in for, right? And, and of course, they can have other things going on. They could have systemic issues. They could have inflammatory issues, like we talked about trauma. Um, they can have, I mean, you know, cancer will cause pain. I mean, there's, there's so many other things that are in and around pain that we need to just sort of like holistically evaluate with the patient. See, in my world, uh, we see a lot of TMJ disorders causing chronic pain. Okay. And these centrally sensitized disorders like migraine, trigeminal neuralgia, even, even non-centrally uh, sensitized disorders like tension type headaches, which is the most common headache. Um, and the reason is we clench our teeth at night. We don't know we're doing it because we're unconscious. And we swallow two to 3,000 times during the day. Every time we do, our teeth come together and our jaw goes up into that socket, which normally is just fine. But if you've got an inflamed joint or the nerves behind the condyle are, have been agitated, you're never giving it a break, right? So if you had, I mean, you know, if you had a cut in your hand and you put a Band-Aid on it, you put some, you know, Neosporin, it'll heal itself up, right? It'll just scar up and it'll just heal. Now, if two to 3,000 times a day, you poke the wound open just like that for a second, right? Is this wound ever going to heal? It's never going to heal, right? That's the problem with TMJ disorders is if you don't address the clenching, there is, there, you're not going to really get anywhere, right? Um, and then you have daytime habits. You know, if you had a sprained ankle, right? You could say, okay, well, I'm going to wear this booty on my foot and I'm going to lay down and I'm going to like rest to sit on a sofa. I'm just not going to be that active while it heals, right? With the jaw, we never, ever get a break, right? We eat, we talk, we swallow, we chew, we clench. There's no chance for repose, Right. And then on top of it, we have this other mechanism in our, in our brain that doesn't like redundant information. Right. So if we walk into a room that smells bad, after about five minutes, we can't smell it anymore. Right. That doesn't mean those molecules of odor are not going up our nose. They still are. But our prefrontal cortex doesn't want to be hindered by useless redundant information. Yeah. Now, it, that can happen with pain too. Right. And so with someone who's swallowing and injuring a nerve two to three thousand times a day and then unconsciously in their sleep, the brain is not putting any attention on it. Not until you start poking and prodding. Do you realize, wow, that's really hurts. <laughs> right. Because mm -hmm. the brain doesn't like um, redundant information. So it's a real uh, an ENT, I believe, wrote an article called. Um, uh, TMJ, the great imposter, right? Because there were so many issues that were tied in to TMJ disorders, not just tension type and migraine type headaches, but then now you have otalgia, like ear pain, tinnitus, um, and just stuffiness in the ear, right? When the, when the jaw is too far back, it'll 
press up against the ear. So it was, it, you know, for us who, who work on the functional aspects of treating TMJ disorders, um, that was like, yes, yes, brother. Yes. That, <laughs> yeah, it is the great imposter. Um, and if people knew that they could resolve their tension type headache or resolve their migraine by treating their TMJ issue, if they have one, then I think if that was more common knowledge, people would go to, to a TMJ expert sooner than they would go into, let's say, a neurologist. Yeah. And I, you know, anecdotally, uh, I certainly center a lot of my stress around TMJ for sure. I mean, you know, or you, you do it when you exercise, right? You're lifting right. weight, you're going to be right. clenching your jaw at Absolutely. that point. Yeah, Absolutely. So, but what are some of the other, you know, what are some of the holistic things that you do to attack this problem? I mean, do you just say, go to the store and buy an over-the-counter TMJ no. thing? <laughs> no, you know, the, my issue with over-the-counter appliances is they disintegrate and you have to buy a new one, right? But they don't disintegrate at the shelf at CVS. They disintegrate where it's wet at 98.7 98 degrees. So that means you're swallowing that plastic. Yeah, so you, you, you put in this device and you swallow plastic. And, and I mean, as a GI doc, you got to tell me how good is it to swallow BPA? So, so that's why I'm not for them. If it was temporary use, right? Um, if for, I, I've said this before. If you snore and you're about to go on a trip with your family or your bros and you don't want your snoring to ruin their weekend, go ahead, pick one up, put it in some hot water, mold it to your teeth, see if that'll resolve your apnea or not. It's not the same as a custom fitted appliance made by a professional, but it's better than nothing. You had it for the weekend. You'll be fine, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but then go and get a sleep study and go and, and go get it treated uh, professionally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, so, mine, mine is definitely made by a professional, you know, didn't good. even tackle one of those. But um, yeah. in addition to appliances, what are some of the other things that you do to, to help your patients? Right. So we use lasers like on the joint capsule and on the muscles. Um, we use uh, acupuncture, obviously. Uh, we do prolotherapy. I don't know. Are you familiar with prolotherapy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm not. Please, break, please break it down. <laughs> I'm, I'm not so, familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so it's local anesthetic and dextrose, which is sugar. Yeah. And it has the exact opposite effect of a steroid, whereas a steroid suppresses your immune system and your inflammatory reaction. This promotes uh, an inflammation, right? So once we had them in the appliance and the acupuncture and the laser has calmed down their pain, their joint is not swollen anymore. If they have a locked jaw or clicking and popping, we I inject just behind here so as to help the jaw joint come back on because the prolotherapy tightens up or sclerosis the ligaments behind the TMJ. Yeah, does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, to the doctor, yes. <laughs> so basically you're, you're promoting swelling to help the jaw get back in place. Yeah, I would say like, instead of using somewhat, the word swelling, yeah. I'd say, I'm okay, so the purpose of inflammation is for repair. Right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. in the beginning, obviously they're coming in with all kinds of inflammation. So I can't do it then. 
But yeah. once their inflammation is calmed down, the swelling is calmed down, their pain is calmed down. When they are, if they're just locked or has clicking, then I do an injection to tighten up the uh, uh, the ligaments using inflammation. Like I'm focusing inflammation on one spot to get a little uh -huh. bit of repair in one spot. Gotcha. It's, it's kind of like we've talked about with you know exercise or infrared therapy or in our cold thermogenesis, you know podcast, Jackie P, where a little bit of inflammation or noxious stimuli allows our body to adapt what we term hormesis, right? It's in this case, it's a good noxious stimuli that allows the body to adapt in a positive manner, but too much of that or too long of a period with that noxious stimuli. And that is a maladaptive response. Yeah. I certainly have heard, you know, we, we talk about omega-3 fatty acids all the time for so many implications, but, you know, Jackie P, this is another situation. I mean, pain management, it, it, essential amino acids and essential fatty acids are absolutely paramount to these conditions, at least in my research. I've also seen uh, L-carnitine used, a number of B vitamins and coenzyme Q, and of course, Things like magnesium and vitamin D, which probably everybody, you know, is deficient into some degree due to. Yeah. And zinc is also an anti-inflammatory. Yeah. It's also and... a really important uh, trace mineral to have. And curcumin, you know. Um, curcumin, yeah. Yeah. Turmeric um, is wonderful anti-inflammatory. So I do recommend that for people. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, indicated. And quercetin. So I, I think that uh, we've. Uh, outlined a lot of very important points and you know why don't we go to a brief commercial break and we will return okay. after that commercial break with dr J dave siraji what's going on maximal beings it's doc mock here many of you are returning to the gym now but some are not going back regardless of what you plan rogue has got the right gear to fit your needs i personally own a barbell set and love it the black op shorts are sweat resistant and flexible for getting deep in your squats. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com slash Rogue for our referral link. Order three items and they ship for free. And as usual, it's Doc Mock, and I'm here to maximize your pathway to wellness. If you're stuck at home and cannot make it to the grocery store, delivery may be the best way to stay clean and healthy. Instacart is the national leader in the direct-to-home delivery service. With numerous major chains and food from smaller stores, you can get those local veggies sent directly to your doorstep. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com slash Instacart and maximize your nutrition today. All right. And we're back with Dr. David Shirazi, and uh, he's talking to us about, uh, you know, chronic pain. Uh, we've, we've outlined sleep apnea. We've outlined how pain can be centralized and also TMJ. And I think that Jackie P has some, you know, lightning round questions for you, Dr. Shirazi. Go for it, Jackie P. Hi, Dr. Shirazi. How are you? It's been a while since I've seen you before the break. <laughs> All right. So the first is, what is your favorite exercise? You mean personally, or do you mean for people with TMJ problems? Why not both? Okay. For people with TMJ uh, issues, um, I try to promote a normal swallow, which means the tip of the tongue goes right behind the front teeth where we, 
when we say the letter N as in Nancy, mm-hmm. the tip of the tongue goes there and the rest of the tongue must go on the roof of the mouth. The tongue must never touch teeth or lay low in a swallow. Never, never. Yeah. So you follow? Yes. So the tongue must never touch teeth, teeth or lay low. Or lay low in the mouth. That's right. Right. So when we swallow, okay. when we're swallowing, when we're swallowing. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> so the tip of the tongue goes there and then it goes right there. And then once that, the once I know that that's their habit, I may have them do an exercise where they keep the tip of their tongue on that spot. And that it's actually called the spot. I'm not making it up. That's what they call it. <laughs> and with that tongue there, they open uh, to their maximum opening with the tongue still there. Yeah. And then I have them do that again with the suction cup on the roof yeah. of their mouth, like the tongue suction cupped on the roof of the mouth, making a click like that. You follow? Okay. Um, personal exercise. Uh, you could just, uh, you can tell from my body. I don't love personal exercise. Um, <laughs> I could tell you the one I despise the most is burpees, right? Oh. But, but hiking is probably my favorite form uh, of exercise outside of sex. You know, it's my there it is. let's go. Okay. Dr. Shiraz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep it real. I'm keeping it real. Okay. Keep it. I love like it. That. You know, Dr. Shiraz, you actually might have the, first person to bring up an exercise mm-hmm. that you don't do in the gym. Oh, okay. well, I mean, I guess because you're not supposed to do in the gym. <laughs> I don't know. Right. You know I'm sure there's stories. But. <laughs> I could just see all these people. That, I mean, we see those people at the gym that just stare at themselves in the mirror and yes. they take pictures of themselves and they're just, they don't work out. They yeah, just doc mock. Doc mock just gets close-ups of his calf muscles and then right, uh, just stare at my calf muscles. Yeah, those yeah, yeah, they yeah, they're they're obsessed with themselves. Yeah, they're in there for the the looks and not for the feel. Right, the and, narcissism, right? Yeah. So that I just when you said the gym, it just made me think of someone looking at a mirror at the gym going, yeah. <laughs> trying to like, you know, I'm working out, okay. I need yeah. this space. The TMJ gym. The TMJ coming to to a theater New Year. (laughs) Second question. What is the craziest uh, diet you have been on or heard of? Heard of. Well, um, I'm a big believer in the HCG diet, the human chorionic gonadotropin diet, uh, where you take these very, very low trace amounts of this embryonic fluid. And you go on a 500 calorie or less per day diet. Yeah, I've done it before. I've lost a bunch of weight. Obviously, I gained it back. But um, I never addressed the thyroid issues that I had. But in terms of losing weight, it's it's phenomenal. It's amazing. Mm. And uh, so th- is that the diet where like you just, I guess you go like on an extended fast? No, you're not really supposed to fast, although I did. Um, You you just eat 500 calories a day. And it's like, it's usually uh, chicken with no skin, like breast meat or beef that's very, like very lean and really just 100 grams, like 100 grams wet, not after you cook it, like really small amounts and like an apple. And like a head of romaine lettuce, it's like, 
it's like food rations. It feels like, right? Yeah. But you're doing it for that. But you do not feel hunger. Interesting. Like, I mean, uh, sincerely, you don't feel hunger, right? So, you know, HCG is something that uh, evolution has given the mother, so that when she, the fetus, is is eating twenty four seven, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not feasible for a mom to eat 24-7. She has to sleep, right? So by having HCG, you're unlocking your brown fat so that the child can always eat. Oh, okay. Yeah. We've also talked talked about, too, on our intermittent fasting podcast about how psychological, you know, your hunger mechanism is, how very little of it is truly a ghrelin response, right? And ghrelin will downregulate over several days of fasting as well as a profound calorie restriction. But like you so astutely pointed out, it is not a sustainable practice by any means. Correct. Yes. I I, I actually tip my hat off to you for doing that more than once if you did that. I did. Yeah. I like to eat as most people. I know. know. Yeah. I know. (laughs) All right. And uh, what is your favorite health book? Honestly, the best book ever written on nutrition and that will ever be written on nutrition is called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration by Weston Price. Yeah. He was a dentist a hundred years ago. There was a debate among dentists of are cavities normal, right? Half the dentists were like, no, of course it's not normal. It's a disease. And the other half were like, well, I see it so often. It's normal. Everyone has, right? So the president commissioned Weston Price to find out. So for nine years, he went out all over the world, you know, in, in societies that no longer exist now. And he not only looked at the rate of decay, but he looked at longevity, strength, um, you know, their ability to breathe through their nose. He looked at all these things. And he found, uh, I believe it was 14 societies that lived to be 100 and at 100 could still chop wood and carry water, right? Only one of them was vegetarian. Yeah, there was no vegans. But even the vegetarians, they ate eggs and cheese and I think fish. And the other 13, meat only encompassed 10% of their diet. And they always ate it with a fermented food, which what we now call prebiotic, probiotic. Yeah, yeah. Those, those blue zone cultures, you know, they, they have it all figured out, you know, for sure. And a lot of them drink, you know, some alcohol. Not all of them do, but you know, the Greeks do, man. Oh my God, the Greek blue zones. <laughs> yeah. Those guys drink. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> those guys still womanize at a hundred. I mean, they're 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 just on another level, dude. That that's my grandfather for sure. He was mm. dropping the fork at Hooters at his ninetieth birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, it has been such a pleasure talking with you. I mean, I have learned so much. I'm, I'm certain you have too, Jackie P. And, you know, if anybody else wants to learn more, it, do you have a website that people yeah. can head to? So we have a bunch of videos on YouTube. Um, I did a one hour Google talk. So that was pretty informative for, for, for the for the layperson in Jackie P. Um, but on my website, I also have a lot of resources. So um, TMJ LA is probably the easiest website to remember, but TMJ Conejo, C-O-N-E-J-O 
Com uh, are both um, viable websites to find information. Those are the websites for my two practices in the LA area. That's wonderful. And, and I encourage all of you to check out, there's a ton of amazing information on there. And that Google talk is just fascinating. Thank you I'm for so glad you sharing that. that with us. Um, so uh, as always, Maximal Beings, you know, we, we, our conversations go fast. We can't wait to talk to you on the next Maximal Being Fitness, Nutrition, Gut Health. Actually, today, when this podcast drops, I'll be giving a webinar on uh, gastroesophageal reflux disease and acid conditions, both high and low. So check that out. Um, and as always, you can email us at team at maximalbeing.com or head over to maximalbeing.com if you want to uh, learn a little bit more in one of our courses. As always, I'm Doc Mock here, at Jackie P and Dr. David Shirazi, and we are here to maximize your health. Thank you so much. What's going on, Maximal Beings? Doc Mock here. If you haven't done so already, leave us a comment and hit the subscribe button. Let your friends and family know. That way we can get the word out and continue to bash the bro science.